this is a pilot episode, which means that we can do whatever we want, whatever direction we want to take it. This project doesn't have a name yet, but we probably should begin by introducing ourselves. Okay, that sounds good. We could also start by talking about how we first kind of started to communicate, because that might fill in some of the blanks as well. Yeah, okay. And I guess I would take credit for that. I think that was my doing. I remember... Coming across, I don't know if it was on the philosophy updates listserv or or how, but I remember coming across your Biota Live discussion on artificial life. And I think I just emailed you. I must have found your email address online and emailed you and said, I think this is great. I love that you're putting together this artificial life group and this is something I've been interested in independently as an academic, as a philosopher, you know, nobody in sort of my group or my department working on anything like that. And then I guess you and I just kept in touch and eventually you asked me to talk about artificial life on one of those podcasts. And that's when I talked to Dick Gordon which kind of spun off in another direction, and I did a bunch of projects with them. But um, for the artificial life stuff, I put together, I don't know if you remember so many years ago now, that sort of online repository of artificial life guest speakers, and I don't know if that actually went anywhere. But, yeah, it was just cool to come across somebody outside of, you know, academia so to speak who was working on artificial life and doing all this cool work so i guess that was that had to be i don't know 2008 or 2009 yeah it was about that time frame i would have thought so i yeah i always think of this as in terms of where i was living at the time yeah me too so (laughs) we bought a house in november 2009 i can't recall i think almost all the recordings i did with you were from the house. I don't think we did any from the apartment, which would have put it towards the end of 2009. Yeah. The yeah, Biota, that sounds right, 2009. Yeah, the Biota Project is an interesting one. In fact, I'm going to put this audio in the Biota feed. So for folks who are, have obviously listened to the back catalogue, it will exist in that audio form, at least till we decide what we want to do with this general discussion. Mm-hmm. Biota, for me, was basically a trajectory of about, probably six to maybe ten years of communicating with Bruce Damer initially, then starting to record the Biota podcasts, and then getting to the point where all the regular participants were doing other things. Um, mm-hmm. So Jeffrey Ventrella, Gerald de Jung, um, Steve Grand, they all kind of moved on to work on their own startup projects and these kind of things. Larry Yeager is now working at Google, so he can't contribute the time that he put into Polyworld, although I was able to mm. get him involved with a local talk series that I organised for last year and early this year called uh, Conscious in the Cloud. Mm. But Biota as an entity, I think, probably could continue. My only concern with it is associated with Bruce Damer's kind of connection and long-term involvement because he's now very actively talking against the notion of artificial life on a few levels. And it's huh. quite strange having someone who's, organi- who's organized Biota up until now 
now being one of its strongest kind of critics in a somewhat uh, strange fashion. So anyway, Bruce and I are going to get together for lunch uh, in a few weeks' time, and no doubt this will be discussed. It's been discussed actually quite actively through um, what's appeared in, in the Biota recordings, and also uh, he was part of Conscious in the Cloud and, and gave a talk at Conscious in the Cloud. But from my own perspective, I've continued to work on Noble Ape, which is the project that I started working on mm-hmm. in 1996. And it's gone in a variety of different directions. I also went to the Artificial Life Conference in 2012 and spent some time with Artificial Life Academics. And that mm-hmm. was a strange interaction. <laughs> because I, the benefit of actually doing Biota recordings was that I never actually needed to be in the same space with any of the participants. I, yeah. knew Bruce, I knew Bruce Damer physically, and I've met Jeffrey Ventrella, and I've met Larry Yeager now. But actually being in academic institutions, talking to academics, getting a sense of what their day-to-day life was, was wow. very strange for me, because I would have thought that they would have embraced certain aspects, particularly the biological complexity or just the general complexity that I tried uh-huh. to put into Noble Ape, and they just weren't, they weren't ready for it. So it was one of these strange things where I realized that I'd been, it's almost like a cargo cult, that I cultivated this kind of cargo cult of what artificial life was. And then when I emerged out of the jungle to talk to the people that had, you know, created the artificial life conference series and all these kind of things, I realized that we were actually different entities. So I went through some kind of struggle and realized that at the end of the day, Noble Lake was about simulation. It was about a variety of different forms of simulation. Uh, you and I had the opportunity of, you know, working on book chapters together. So you have some, mm-hmm. some, you know, sense of the background of Noble Ape. And I've continued that. I've atomized a lot of the ideas. I've changed some of the simulation aspects. Bob Mottram, the roboticist who worked on Noble Ape for about three years, is now working with an open source company in the UK. So all his time is taken with that. So I've had an opportunity yeah. of teasing these things apart and looking at you know, how you distribute the simulation environment with potentially a much larger simulation space with the apes being simulated on individual computers and devices and all this kind of ecosystem stuff, uh, like mm. technological ecosystem. But, um, yeah, it's been an interesting period. Yeah. In parallel to this, just as I was probably in the last two years of Biota Live, I started recording another podcast called Model Rail Radio, and that right. took off. I mean, that was the BioLive format, exactly, with people calling in and talking about what they were doing and all this kind of stuff, except associated with model railroading. And that oh, just completely exploded. I mean, that's a thing that has a life of its own. We're recording the 100th show mm-hmm. in January wow. next year, and people are flying in and coming down from all over. There'll be actually, no like, you know, what looks like 20 plus, probably close to 40 people by the end of it that are actually showing up on my in my abode uh, to wow. record it live so that gives that is so cool <laughs> and that's so far afield from artificial life well, actually, so is that an, that's another passion of yours no the interesting thing is i'm not a model railroader and they kind of <laughs> sense that but they then appreciate that i'm a good at creating communities and i've been very useful in creating uh. this community i actually think there's a lot of similarities Artificial life developers are fundamentally creating universes that are like, you know, that they can explore, that are highly detailed, that have eclectic things going on within them. And that's basically model railroaders too. The other thing is when you interact with academics and, and, you know, artificial life folk, 
irrespective of how crazy and harebrained they may be to an external observer, you've got to treat them with a certain degree of respect, and you've got certain parameters that you can move. And the same is true with model railroaders. If you create a forum where they feel perfectly comfortable, they can talk about their you know, particular interests, they can discourse. I mean, it was what was going on with Biota Live, but just with a vast... I mean, it's difficult to actually... It would be like Biota Live where I had, like, 40 people call in every show, and, you wow. know, I mean, it just... It, the, the size of, of Model Rail Radio compared to Biota Live was just overwhelming, but obviously I'm still... I still develop this simulation. Um, yeah. And the community that was part of that... It's not really there anymore. So I feel mm-hmm. since... And the younger generation, I've, I've done interviews and corresponded with, you know, university folk, university graduates who are just coming into this field and what some, mm-hmm. you know... And the best feedback, actually, I got from the Artificial Life Conference was the number of academics that came up to me and said Biota was really an important part of what they did. Like, it oh, was almost cool. like a tutorial group. It made them... There were a group of Polish academics that said that they felt very... Before Biota Live, they just felt isolated. And through Biota Live, they uh, could reach out to a broader community, which I kind of gave in audio form. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, it. I had to go outside of philosophy. You know, and I know... Um, I've never met him in person, but Mark Bedell. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's no, at, I've, met, at I've met Mark Bedell. <laughs> Reed College, is that yes. right? Yes, I've he's met Mark in, in Oregon. And I've never met him in person, but, yeah. you know, he, uh, Elliot Sober, the philosopher of biology, wrote, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of things about artificial life. Even Dan Dennett had mentioned it. Totally. So it was out there, you know, some of the big names, but really it was not a big focus at my university. Nobody in my department knew what the hell it was. Nobody, you know, the only advice I got was you're not going to get a job in artificial life. You know, your degree is in philosophy. So you better either, you know, get over this little fascination or broaden your skill set because it's not it's just not a traditional philosophical subdiscipline. So it's very isolating when you're out there and everybody's working on, you know, the traditional philosophical problems. And I kind of stumbled across Margaret Bowden's book, mm-hmm. Philosophy of Artificial Life, and that just blew my mind. I was yeah. like, wow, this brings together computer science and modeling and and physics and, you know, philosophy and biology and holy cow, it was such a huge, mind-blowing discovery. But there there was nothing to really tie it together until I started talking to you guys mm-hmm. I have had communications with Bruce Damer. In fact, some of his um, pictures of his plants, mm-hmm. that he, the artificial plants he grew with L Systems, wound up in a paper I published last year. So I've, I've had communication with some people in that community, and it's really gratifying. It's like, okay, there is actually a community. It's just really dispersed. Mm-hmm. You know, people in all different fields all over the world. So, yeah, I would definitely echo that sentiment that, Biota kind of gave that, gave it sort of a home base almost. But I didn't realize you weren't doing it anymore. I well, thought that was still going. I had, I had a strange experience on the first day of the Artificial Life Conference because basically I gave I gave seminars and actually tutorials mainly for the mm-hmm. first day. I think it was either the oh, evening cool. of the first day or the night before. And I was walking through the conference and I knew everyone. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, well. But none of them knew who I was, or they just didn't interact. There was a kind of nervous energy. I just mm. went through and I saw Mark Badeau and I saw all these people. I was hoping to meet Larry Yoga. And then on the next day, I just went to... I must have been after my tutorials. It must have been the day following. And I was pulled into this little room by somebody. You know, and there, there they all were. I mean, you know, Chris Adami was there. There were a wide variety of folk that I had uh, had some connection with. And they were all interested in, in hearing my ideas. The problem, I felt, uh. was... And they made me a member of the... I'm still technically a member of the board. Their problems were not my problems. And my problems were not their problems. And the mm-hmm. learning that had occurred through the biota experience couldn't translate to the stuff that they were doing. So I felt that there was just uh. a, a, a distinction that wouldn't enable a degree of interaction. The problems I was having at the time... I mean, I... Yeah. I work at Netflix. I was trying to bring artificial life concepts into Netflix at the time. I yeah. worked very hard on that project, but none of the none of the broader community could really assist with that. And at the same mm-hmm. time, I was also internally within Netflix trying to, you know, explain and resolve some of these concerns. I mean, I I existed as an oddity both within Netflix and also the artificial yeah. life conference in this regard. Yeah. But I You're like say, an exotic, like, yeah, it's <laughs> who, who is yeah. this person? But do you think it's because the, when you say you had different problems, do you mean your problems were more practical as well, I, a computer person and theirs were more, what, philosophical no, as their, academics? Their problem was or? just running a conference. I mean, their problem was basically getting continued funding and interest in the conference. Oh, and I see. just organizational things. I mean, very basic organizational things. And Tim Taylor did help them through some of this. But I just realized I needed, uh, if, if, mm. if I was to have a group of peers, I needed yeah. them to be in a place where they would be able to on a variety of levels, offer support and advice. So I tried to create this group yeah. locally to do mm-hmm. that. And that was similarly here I mean, in the Bay. There are names like Kurzweil and, you know, the Singularity yeah. folk and all these other kinds of people. And I'm, I'm just past that as well. So uh, you have these people coming with this kind of narrative to the Conscious in the Cloud talks, and then you have people who are past it. But the yeah. actual infrastructure of creating a, a talk series that goes on in the evenings and all this kind of stuff. And we ended yeah. up having, because we released it in podcast for more people listening to the podcast than actually attending the talks. Although we had oh, a wow. number of interesting people there. So, yeah, I think mm. I, it's not that I, I mean, I would love to continue to do the Biota series, but I need people. Like, yeah. It, just, it could just be me. Just giving a monologue. Just every talking recording. about artificial life, but, yeah. I think the other thing is that I also became quite concerned that the work that I'd done, in part through interactions with uh, a couple of folk at this conference, but also just in reflection on once you go to a conference and you see papers being presented on artificial life as sanctioned by the International Society and the conference. And in particular, when you see it as being part of a narrative, which I would consider at least 20 years old and really Mm. hasn't moved on through that because they've lost elements of complexity. The notion of open source within this community is, I found, quite curious. They just didn't seem to speak my language on a number of levels. Um, Uh. So I started to wonder whether what I was doing with Noble Ape, I mean, although I'd used the term artificial life roughly for a decade, mainly because... Um, initially it was an obstacle to even call Noble Ape artificial life. There was a kind of existing 
I don't know what one would call it, but an existing group that didn't want Noble Ape as part of Artificial Life. Having had this experience at the conference, I started to realise that, well, Noble Ape is is just a bunch of simulations. And it's a Mm. series of layered simulations, and this thing called Artificial Life is something different. And I just need to accept that. And so then the context of Biota becomes interesting. So, Mm. you know, what is Biota in this context, particularly with Bruce Damer in parallel to this finishing his PhD, but also then being very um, vocal and almost to a certain degree hostile associated with many of the ideas that I was trying to cultivate through the biotic community. Now, Bruce and I both in recorded and unrecorded sessions have talked about this. I think he was most recently, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the comedian Joe Rogan, but Joe Rogan interviewed him last week and actually took him to task in a kind of 20-minute section associated with how various issues associated with the origin of life couldn't move to a concept of artificial life in terms of you know, simulated agents or these kind of things, which was my criticism of Bruce's, you know, new perspective. Ah. Um, but anyway, so it's interesting times for Biota. I think that's yeah. still, there's still potential out there. There are lots, I mean, I get periodic emails from new listeners that have listened to it from end to end and have gotten a lot out of it. And it exists as a resource for people That's still. Right. right, exactly. I mean, it's always going to live online, yeah. so it's still a resource. But you could bring it back, but it sounds like you've really created a community with the model rail. Well, in parallel rail, to what this is it? Well, model? model rail radio. In, okay, model in, rail radio. In parallel to this as well, I've also, in, in again, a 2000, probably a 2010 time frame, I started yeah. talking with a, a linguist called Heron Stone, and then... This thing oh, yeah. became the Stone Ape podcast, which has, has a community as well, completely removed from artificial life and model railroaders. Although the model and rail community, <laughs> the model rail community has you know contributed a number of listeners into into Stone Ape, and oh, that's, that's cool. there's yeah, some crossover to a certain extent. I mean, I, I guess disenchanted intellectuals at the crossover, maybe <laughs> who knows? Uh, but yeah, that has been an interesting process as well, and I think Heron. In terms of what he brings to the recording, has a, a breadth of knowledge through kind of the 70s, 80s, and certain aspects of the 90s in a very, I don't know, LA, just an LA culture, which I'm, I've am i always been interested in, but never had someone such as Heron to be, you know, a, a sparring partner, so to speak. So yeah. that has generated its own group. But then again, that's distinctly different from uh, the Biota participants and Model Rail Radio. The thing that interests me about my conversations with Heron is mm-hmm. a third, roughly a third of the listeners are women, which okay. I've never had in any forum previously. I mean, the Biota participants are almost exclusively male, and the listening audience is almost exclusively mm-hmm. male. Model Rail Radio has a number of transgender participants, and oh, they, um, I think, probably outweigh the female participants, uh, and then just a bunch of men. It's actually a well-known. It's a well-known thing. I've talked to people about this, and there's a known community within the transgender community that's interested in model rail. Like it's just a known what? thing, which you'd that never is... know about unless you entered. The... No, yeah. I would never know about that. Yeah. That is a really interesting connection. But I think with your this stone ape, I think it's obvious why. It's because you have such a your conversations kind of go all over the place and and you <laughs> you hit on all different topics and it's very entertaining to listen to so why wouldn't that be i would expect it to be even 
50-50, men and women, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's based on contact. So it could be yeah. it could be that there are more women that, that don't get in contact. Yeah. Oh, right, right. But as, as we're doing this as a pilot, mm-hmm. you've changed your careers and your location a wide variety <laughs> of things since we last talked. I mean, I kind of get that sense from talking to you. Yeah, you, yes, you only know the half of it. Wait until you find out what job I just got. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, I left... Uh, philosophy, full-time philosophy professor job last year.